A reading from John 20, 24 through 31. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The Word of the Lord. All right, let me start us off today by asking you a few questions uh, from this great book that I read last year by Rebecca McLaughlin. It's called Confronting Christianity, 12 Hard Questions for the World's Largest Religion. If you're looking for some good reading during the quarantine lockdown, I highly recommend it. As I read some of these questions, though, ask yourself, who do I know? Do I know anyone who has these same questions uh, for Christianity? And actually, do I have some of these same questions for God? Because I think if we're honest, I think a lot of us have asked most of these at one point or another in our lives. So here, here are a few that she tackles. Can you actually say that there's only one true faith? Is everything else, is everybody else really wrong? Uh, does Christianity crush diversity? Do, doesn't religion create more violence in the world than it does peace? How can you take the Bible literally? I mean, every word, is it really true? Historically reliable and even written by God himself. Hasn't science disproved Christianity? Hasn't history, for that matter, disproved Christianity by now? Does Christianity denigrate women? Is Christianity homophobic? And two, I know that we've all asked, no matter who we are, how could a loving God allow so much evil in the world, so much suffering, how could a loving God ever send someone to hell? There are more that we could add that she doesn't tackle in this particular book. I mean, things like, even if God exists and created all things, does he actually care about the dumb little details of my life? I mean, is he intimately involved in the everyday mundane things that I do? Or I, I like what the Bible says about life, but do I really have to believe all those miracles? I mean, did that crazy stuff really happen? The virgin birth, water into wine, the resurrection. And at its heart, Christianity seems like a good deal, but surely some of the Bible and its commands are outdated by now, right? I mean, now that we know so much more about how the world actually works. We could go on and on. These are live questions for many people, and I know that they're live questions for many, many Christians out there as well. Do any of these hit home for you? Are there any, any others that you would add to the list if you were writing it? 
If you're watching today and you're curious about Christianity or investigating Christianity and some of these questions are the things that are hanging you up and keeping you from jumping in with both feet, I have bad news. I'm not going to answer a single one of them for you today, okay? That's just not what we're going to get into, Uh, at least not in this sermon anyway. But I have great news too, and the great news is that there really are good answers to these and many other questions you might have. Rebecca McLaughlin's book is a great place to start, but the reason that there's good answers is because the Bible actually invites this sort of questioning. Okay, it's a funny thing about Christianity, but it's one of the things that I've grown to love over the years. God's not afraid of our doubts or or disapproving of our questions. He's not insecure about new scientific discoveries or historical developments. Um, The opposite, actually. God is the one who teaches us how to doubt well in his very own word to us, the Bible. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, you have these questions too. I mean, at least you should. It's not like we get converted and then the matrix download goes into our brain and we never and we have all the data we need and all of the, the questioning and the investigation stops. No, if you're a thinking, breathing, honest human being who takes the Bible seriously and wants to know God, these are the kinds of questions that will come up throughout your lifetime if they haven't already. The Bible not only receives our questions, it actually guides us through the process. It asks them for us and then navigates them with us. There's a a Catholic Canadian philosopher, a guy named Charles Taylor, and he kind of wrote what what is known as the standard analysis, you could say, of our modern world. It's called A Secular Age. It's an 800-page book that's rather dense, and in it, he talks about the cross pressures that we all live in today. This is what he means. Um, There are a few individuals who live with certainty on either side of these questions. They're the ones who get all the press, of course. So the militant atheists on the one side and sort of the the Christian fundamentalist crowd on the other side are, are sure about their beliefs, and they just end up yelling at each other across the aisle, while 99.9% of the rest of us find ourselves somewhere in the middle on the spectrum, don't we? Believers are tempted to doubt because there's really good questions out there for us to wrestle with. But at the same time, unbelievers are actually equally tempted to faith because there's really intriguing and even compelling things about Jesus that just helps us make sense of our experience in life. So believers are tempted to doubt, doubters are tempted to believe, and we all live in this cross-pressure of the modern world. Everyone is, who is trying to or interested in following Jesus today is the man in Mark 9 who prays, I do believe, help my unbelief. And a great gift of the Bible is that we're not left alone to figure all this out for ourselves. Jesus is not only a good person to doubt with, so to speak, he's also the person who's going to guide us through, reveal truth, and, and deeply transform our life in the process. See, Jesus isn't one of these modern sages that says the questions are more important than the answers. Don't worry too much about the destination. Just enjoy the process. No, he actually doesn't want you to stay put in indecision and doubt. He wants to show you the truth. He wants to guide you into more clear and and steady and confident belief. He wants to reveal his kindness to you. And one of the best pictures of Jesus guiding his friends through doubt to belief 
is the story of the patron saint of all doubters that we just heard read, the account of Thomas's encounter with the resurrected Jesus. Thomas shows us how to doubt like believers. He, he's a doubter's, it's a doubter's guide to belief and a believer's guide to doubt. But most important of all, Jesus stands in the center of this passage as a beacon of hope that our questions, they really do have answers. And our unsettled hearts really can find their home in the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. So how is the resurrection, how is this resurrection encounter a guide for us today? Let me show you three things. The first one is this. You got to show up to church because you never know what might happen. All right, so if you remember last week, uh, Jesus appeared to his disciples on the day of his resurrection, Sunday evening. Um, in verse 19, we read this last week. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And now in our passage today, we read this. Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, he wasn't with them when Jesus came. Okay? Missed church that day. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, man, unless I see his hands, the marks of the nails, and, and place my fingers into the marks of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I'll never believe. I just, I just can't do it. And now catch this. Eight days later, which was the ancient way of saying a week later, so this is the next Sunday, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, peace be with you. See, the language here is identical, and that's not an accident. Jesus arrives behind locked doors and stands among his followers during their Sunday gathering. Both times he greets them with a gracious invitation into a relationship that will transform their lives. There probably was a really good reason Thomas missed the first week's gathering of Jesus' followers. He could have been on guard duty outside, he could have been making the food run for the crew. It could have been a particularly good powder day, right? We just don't know what it was. But whatever the reason, he wasn't there. And he missed a miraculous resurrection encounter with Jesus. Now, so the point is, don't miss church. Because you never know what's going to happen when you show up. And I say this a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but honestly not really, right? Because the bigger point here is that Jesus chooses to move Thomas from doubt to belief, not when he was alone, having a spiritual uh, solo mountaintop experience on his own, but when he was meeting with other Christians, right? When he was meeting with other believers. Jesus moves Thomas from doubt into belief within the community of God's people, within his church, which at this time in history was just a handful of followers behind a locked door in a room in Jerusalem. And I think the take-home message for us is this. Whatever your questions are, whatever doubts you, you harbor in your heart, and again, we all have them, God has given us this great gift to help us process them and move through them, the community of other Jesus followers. And he even promises to be with us in spirit, in a special way as we gather together. He promises to nourish our sometimes fragile faith as we take the Lord's Supper together. He promises to encourage us as we read his word and hear it explained together. So put yourself in the way uh, of answers to your questions by walking alongside other Christians as you have them. This has absolutely been my experience as I've walked along other people 
um, with significant doubts, the, the more they pull away from Christian community, the harder it is to find satisfying answers. But the more they just sort of stick around, whether they're believing very well or not, the clearer the picture gets over time. I mean, it's almost like we need to borrow other people's faith sometimes while God slowly puts the puzzle of our life together for us. I mean, we might be, you know, looking at the picture on the box and then looking at this mess of pieces in our life and thinking, there's no way this turns into the beauty that's promised here, right? I mean, surely they're, they're not even the pieces are all there, right? There's got to be some missing. Could this actually become that? And we start to question the plan that God has for us. And maybe sometimes the best thing at that point that we need is just a friend to come and sit with us and plug away at the puzzle, just kind of poke on it slowly. And over time, the clarity of the picture, it emerges. And we're in it together to the end. And that's the church. If you want to meet Jesus, show up to the places where Jesus says he'll meet you, and then expect to be changed. Expect him to be at work, because that's the next thing we see. As Jesus moves Thomas from doubt to belief in community, he does it by meeting Thomas exactly where he needed to be met with his gracious presence. We just heard Thomas declare, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, unless I put my hands into those marks, place my hand on his side, I'll never believe. And when Jesus arrives among them, he immediately says to Thomas, without any discussion or conversation, verse 27, put your fingers here, see my hands, put out your hand, place it in my side, do not disbelieve, but believe. See, Jesus knows the questions that riddle Thomas's mind and heart. He knows this kind of faith isn't going to be easy for Thomas. So even after all Jesus has done for his followers and his people and his family, his teachings, his life, his death, his resurrection, all the gifts he's already won and paid for and offered to them for free, he knows it's going to be hard for Thomas to take him in. And so Jesus is still willing to go even farther for him. He's willing to accommodate Thomas's hard-to-trust heart. He's willing to condescend to him and give him all he needs to see and trust and follow Jesus. And the encounter, it's very short. It's terse. It's just a verse, but it's beautiful too. I mean, it's an encounter that sort of honors both Jesus's crucifixion and his resurrection, right? It's a combination. It, his humanity and his divinity, his vicarious death for us and his eternal victory for us. I mean, he lets Thomas feel his resurrection body that's also his crucifixion body. Isn't that fascinating? So a whole new body that will last forever and never get sick and never be sad and never mourn again, um, that still carries the scars from his time on earth and his death on this side. So for eternity, Jesus will be the crucified one, the lion of victory and the lamb of sacrifice forever. These aren't scars of shame for him, but scars of beauty that he shares with his people. Now, this tells us some fascinating things about the resurrection body and resurrection life. We're actually going to unpack that kind of stuff later in this series. But for now, just see this. Thomas needed to see the evidence for a bodily historical resurrection life. Until this moment, such a thing had never even been thought of. Um, and he couldn't just believe it. 
until he saw it. He must have been from Missouri like me, the show me state, right? Like I get this guy. You got to see it to believe it. But Jesus actually gave him far more than that. A demonstration of power, a miraculous sign walking through the locked door could have convinced Thomas that there's something new going on here. But then Jesus takes his hand and puts it on his own wounds. It's intimate. It's personal. Thomas experienced the crucifixion love of the resurrected God. He felt the wounds that would heal his own wounds and the wounds of the whole world. He was taken in, invited in to the most profound love in the universe, and he felt it with his body. He experienced the presence and the love of Jesus. So maybe you're like Thomas, and you need to be convinced, right? Show me, show me the money. I mean, show, it's the show me state. Show, you need to be convinced historically, actually, that this crazy resurrection talk is legit. You need to go pick up some N.T. Wright or read some other historians that say not only is this a plausible explanation, but when, it, uh, when all is said and done, this is actually the best possible explanation of the historical data. Maybe you need to run down some facts like Thomas, or maybe your questions are less historical, intellectual, and more experiential. And maybe you need to feel the love of God again in your life. You need to experience his gracious presence. Maybe you say, okay, I buy it. I think this happened. I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I'm banking on it for eternity, actually. But what's it have to do with my life now? It feels so distant, so out there, so disconnected. My doubt isn't that God exists. It's that he cares or that he's good. Or maybe more specifically, that he actually has any kind of plan for what feels like my chaotic life. I need his crucifixion love in my hands again. I need God to begin to unwind my anger or my lust or my fear in my heart. I, 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 need, um, I need God, I, I need to experience the, the presence of his grace. I need God to actually help me believe the promises of his word in deeper, more impactful ways. I need, I need a resurrection encounter, right? The beauty of God's infinite love is that he has an infinite variety of means to reach his people, to connect with us, to meet us where we're at. You might not know what you need, but he does. So keep asking, keep naming the questions, showing up, keep your nose in the Bible, because honest doubt, if this passage teaches us anything, it's that honest doubt is honored by Jesus. He, 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 It does not have to be a barrier to our faith, but it can actually be a key that unlocks a door to a deeper relationship with God, an avenue that connects us to his love even more. So write them down, right? Write out the questions, talk to a friend, read some good stuff, because at the end of our road of doubt, and honestly along the whole way, Jesus is with you and waiting for you, and it can bring you to a place of deep, settled confident trust in his grace to you, which exactly is exactly where he brings Thomas by the end of this encounter. So last one here, Jesus moves Thomas from doubt to belief in community by his gracious presence and for a reason, to give him the life he was created to live. Thomas answered him, verse 28, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me 
and yet who have believed. Now, what Thomas says here is actually a pretty amazing thing to say. This is the only time in the Bible, in the four Gospels, that anyone directly addresses Jesus as God. This is the climax of the book of John. It comes from the mouth of a doubter, nonetheless. It's great because it's objectively true. He is the God. He is the Lord. Thomas has been convinced of his divinity, his lordship, his salvation. The promises are real, and they're all yes in Christ. But it's even greater because it's become subjectively true to Thomas, right? In other words, he personally loves this man. He personally loves these truths. He says, my Lord and my God. It's relational. It's intimate. It's the culmination of a life following Jesus, and it's available to you and I as well. In fact, it's kind of interesting. John, the author, breaks what is known today as the fourth wall, and he looks up from the historical narrative that he's been writing about, and he directly addresses his readers and his hearers, you and I. Verse 30, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written about in this book, but these are written so that you, the reader, the hearer, the one watching online during the great corona lockdown of 2020, that you may believe that Jesus Christ, or that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Encountering the resurrected Jesus sends us all on a journey. You cannot meet him and remain unchanged. And with all the power in the universe at his disposal, Jesus moves his friends from weeping to witness, from fear to mission, from doubt to belief, from shame and guilt to love and fruitfulness in his kingdom. You will not remain the same after you encounter this man, this God. And the journey with Jesus is always in the direction of more life, more joy, and more hope. That by believing, you may have life in his name. So if you're looking for a change for the better in your life, Jesus is the guy you got to meet, right? You orchestrate an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. You, you can't see him and touch him just yet, but that's coming soon. But everything else is available to you right now to meet him and to let him begin to change you dramatically. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Show up to the places where Jesus says he will meet you. Approach him honestly in doubt, in faith, whatever. Let his resurrection life turn what feels like hurdles now into keys that unlock doors to more of his love, more of his grace, and more of his presence in your life. Thomas is the modern-day guide to the doubters who have faith and the faithful who have doubt. I pray that you follow him and ultimately follow Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we do thank you for this great encounter that you had with Thomas and your resurrected life, your resurrected body. Uh, we pray that we would encounter you in the same way, that we would be able to honestly bring you our questions that, uh, that all haunt our hearts. We all have them. And that with them, you'd be gentle and you'd be gracious and you would guide us on a path to more life in you, just as you promised. We ask these things in your name. Amen.